You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, let me invite you to turn with me to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. And I am determined that by the time you uh, finish, we finish uh, the Gospel of John, that you will know and have memorized at least one verse in your whole Christian life. And it's that one, John 20, verse 31. Um, it is the theme of this Gospel and the, the theme throughout this gospel is life. It is eternal life. And those, those themes have been clear, I think, since the beginning. I hope that you've seen that. Uh, John chapter 1, the incarnation of the Son of God. And John told us that in Him was life, and His life was the light of men. And truly, truly, I say to you, in John chapter 3, Jesus says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Again, the theme of life. John chapter 3, verse 16, we know it well, that God sent His only Son that we would not perish but have eternal life. It is the theme. Uh, John chapter 5 and, verse, and, and, and uh, chapter 6, hearing the, the voice and the words of Jesus is eternal life. John chapter 11, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John chapter 17, eternal life is knowing God. This is the theme of John's Gospel. And we are not only saved from death and to life, we are to be a people who are alive. Amen, church? Just as Jesus has risen from the dead, He has raised us to life in Himself. All of that made possible because He rose from the dead. It was on that very first Sunday morning following the death of Jesus that Mary came to the tomb, Mary Magdalene. And she came to the tomb to mourn. But she came and found a different thing altogether. She found life when she got there. She found hope. She encountered the risen Jesus for the very first time. And every day after that was different for Mary, certainly the rest of the disciples. And so my hope for you as you consider the resurrection of Jesus and all that follows from His resurrection, my hope for you is that you would see the risen Christ again and again and again every day of your Christian life such that you are alive in Him. Because when you come to know Jesus, you live. And every day after coming to know Jesus is evidence that you're alive and that you've come to know Him. 
Your life is forever changed. And I really want that to be real for you. My, my prayer is that every single time we gather as a church and every single moment of your life that you can say one thing without doubt. That Jesus is alive and that your life is full of life because of Him. It ought not be a, a place where we come together where we have to pry people up to worship Jesus, but rather because we know He's alive and we've seen Him, that we worship Him with all of our hearts. And so toward that end, if you found your place, let me invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word as we see Mary Magdalene and her encounter with the living Christ. The Bible says, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you would, if you carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. Father, I pray that You would show us the face of Christ this morning. That we would see in a very real way what it means to encounter Jesus. To see Jesus. To know Him. And to be alive in Christ. I pray that today we would see Jesus face to face. And that as a result, those here who do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior would confess Him as Lord and Savior today, and be saved. And I pray that your church would be a reflection every day of our life, in every gathering, in every area of our life, at our jobs, in our homes, that we have seen Jesus. And life will never be the same. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So the two disciples that we've talked about so far, John and Peter, have now left. And the Bible says that they went back home. And it's very interesting because John just kind of moves past that as if life is still kind of going on as normal. They did not yet see Jesus face to face. And Mary is not quite certain what they're seemingly certain of, that He's risen from the dead. And, and so Mary Magdalene stays behind And the Bible tells us that she was weeping outside the tomb. And the word weeping here is not just a casual crying, shedding a few tears. This is a a wailing. She She is completely overtaken with grief. 
at wondering where Jesus has been taken off to. The body of Jesus whom she came to pay her respects to and, and to grieve over His death. He's no longer there. And it must have been that somebody came and stole the body or at least maybe the, the owner of the tomb moved the body because it was not appropriate that He was buried there. Something, but certainly not that Jesus had risen from the dead. So we'll remember in verse 2 of this chapter that Mary immediately ran and went to Simon Peter after she came to the tomb and she made that claim. They've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. And even after angels appear, she's still holding to that same story. Verse 13, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. And even the moment... When Jesus is standing before her face to face, she does not recognize him. She does not yet believe. And she says to Jesus, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. She has no idea that Jesus has risen from the dead. And so she's weeping audibly. She's in pain. She is a hot mess, we might say. She's completely broken. Her life is in pieces. And she doesn't know what she's going to do. And she gets on her hands and knees and she crawls into the tomb completely broken. How many of us have been there? When our life is in pieces and we have only to crawl into the grave, it seems. And there's no hope left and life seems over. So when Mary answers the tomb, unexpectant, she is completely surprised when she sees in verse 12 two angels. Two angels sitting there dressed in white where the body of Jesus had been, one at the head and one at the feet. They're sitting there waiting patiently on whoever comes by. Of course, they know they've been given a command. They've been given a mission to tell all who pass by that Jesus is not here, that He's risen just as He said. Those two angels are talked about in Mark chapter 16. They're described, one as a young man dressed in white who appears to the women. Luke 24, the same thing, dressed in white, gleaming like lightning, standing beside the women. Matthew 28, same picture. Appearance of lightning and wearing a garment as white as snow rolled back and the stone frightened the guards and later talked with the women. Each of these, each of these occurrences, men, angels dressed in white, gleaming like lightning, this was a clear picture that, that this is no human occurrence. That God is active and working and He Himself has raised Jesus from the dead. Mary still doesn't get it. Despite the presence of the angels, It's not registered with her that Jesus is risen just as He said. And while she's weeping, it's as if she's there on her face. I don't know how long that conversation lasts. The Bible doesn't tell us between she and the angels. But somewhere in that conversation, she undoubtedly senses someone behind her. And you can just imagine Mary on her face turning to look and seeing the powerful figure of Christ standing before her. Not knowing who it is, she 
begins to have this conversation with him and he asks her why she's weeping, who she's looking for, and she thinks he's the gardener. Remember, this is a garden tomb, an orchard, place of a very rich man, thinking that either he's the owner or the tender of the garden. She explains her grief to him. You can almost feel this desperation, can't you? Where she's standing there before the very one she's looking for, but unable to see him for who he is. She's, she's there in a state of complete brokenness at the end of a road with no answers and no way out and no seemingly no, no will to carry on. And here's the one she's looking for, so hungry for, so desperately seeking, and she cannot even see him. And in that moment, you can almost see it, can't you? Jesus stooping to put his hand under her chin and lift her face and call her by name. Mary. And we know from the text that she knew immediately who he was. She called him Rabbani, teacher. This is not just any teacher. This is her teacher, her Lord. When she goes and reports to the disciples, she says, I have seen the Lord. She knows this to be the very Christ whom she is seeking. And now she has seen him face to face. Kind of reminds me of Acts chapter 17 when Paul was preaching to the men there at Athens. And he told them, this God whom you're seeking, He's not far from any one of us. In fact, He's appointed the boundaries and your dwelling places. And He's made this whole world essentially so that you would seek Him and find Him, though He's not far from any of us. He wasn't far from Mary. Some of you are like Mary this morning. Jesus is so close to you that you could reach out and touch Him, but you have not seen Him or encountered Him or realized who He was. You're kind of scratching around looking for all of the things that you hope will be life, but they're all death everywhere you turn. And Jesus is the one who has life. And He's standing right there. But notice when He calls her name probably still on her hands and knees in the dark of the cave, and He essentially calls her out of the tomb, out of the darkness, into the light when He says, Mary. There is without doubt a connection here between John chapter 10 and John chapter 20. You remember what happened there? Jesus was talking about being the good shepherd. And he says in John chapter 10, beginning in verse 2, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Listen to verse 3. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. It is not by accident that the very next chapter is the story of Lazarus. And maybe those two Marys are the same, maybe they're not. Commentators are split over that. But the reality is, in the same way, Jesus steps to the tomb of Lazarus and He calls Him out by name. There is no coincidence here. Jesus simply says 
Mary and he opens her eyes that she might see who he is. And in that moment, there is overwhelming joy, overwhelming gratitude, complete worship of the the risen Christ. And she cries out, Rabbani. She knows him personally. And there she grabs hold of his feet. Well, that encounter with Christ could be summed up in what she said to the disciples. She makes the statement, verse 18, and you ought to underline this in your Bible. She makes the statement, I have seen the Lord. That's not all that she says. John says that that he had said these things to her. She, She shared everything that Jesus had said to her. But the thing that John says could summarize the experience, that could summarize her message, the way that Mary understood it, and then therefore John understood the entire experience was, I have seen the Lord. She said a lot more. But that's Mary's testimony. And that statement is intended by John to cause us to reflect on our own lives and ask the question of our own lives, have we seen the risen Christ? Have we seen the Lord? Remember that the entire Gospel of John is all about faith. It's all about trusting in Jesus. It's all about receiving eternal life. And one of the ways that John frames this for us, encapsulates it for us, is to say, I have seen the Lord. That's what it means to be saved, John is saying. That you have personally seen Christ. Can I give you this truth this morning? The entire life of the Christian should give witness to the fact that we have seen Jesus. The entire Christian life, your whole life, should be, should just be radiating the reality that you have seen and know Christ. And when that happens, everything about you is different. Now on the one hand, Mary's phrase actually reveals a lack of faith, doesn't it? John saw, or John never saw, and he believed, the Bible tells us. And there would be those later who would believe and not see. Do you remember? We'll come to this in a couple of weeks, but in John chapter 20, when Thomas is needing a sign to know that this is really Jesus who's raised from the dead, he feels the wounds in Jesus' hands and he believes. Jesus says to Thomas, Have you believed because you've seen me? He says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So there is something about this encounter that we should be warned about in that seeing is not always believing and believing is not always seeing. But that's not what faith is, is it? We do not walk by by sight, we walk by faith. Faith does not come by seeing, it comes by the Word of God. It comes by hearing what God has said. Hebrews 11, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The very nature of faith is not built on what we can see with our eyes, but what God opens the eyes of our heart to see and convicts us of and leads us to believe. This is what it means to not be blind but to see 
spiritually. And yet, Mary's confession must be the confession in some sense of every believing heart. I've seen Him. I've seen Jesus. Not physically. Jesus ascended to the Father and He's there in heaven and He's coming back for us one day. I've not seen Him physically, but it is as if, because I've come to know Jesus in faith, it is as if I've seen Him with my very eyes. And this ought to be true in the life of the Christian. How do we know that? Well, John's Gospel leads us to believe that. John chapter 1 and verse 14. We have seen His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And John is writing the collective we to the church. We have seen Jesus. Or you could just simply read through the Old Testament where, yes, it is a dangerous thing. No man can see God and live. But in the grace of God, there are ways that we see Him. And it should be the desire of every believing heart to see Jesus. Think about the life of Job. When Job was on his deathbed, essentially, everything had been taken from him but his life. He said, after my skin, this is chapter 19 and verse 26, and after my skin has been thus destroyed, he says, yet in my flesh, my destroyed skin, I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another. My heart faints within me. Job wanted to see God. David, in the Psalms, chapter 17 and verse 15. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. He wanted to see God in worship. Jesus in Matthew 5, 8 says this, this is a blessed thing. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Can I ask you, believer, is there... Listen to me. Is there an overwhelming, insatiable desire to see God in your life? Does the face of Christ delight you, thrill you, satisfy you, embolden you? Is it the very thing that you desire with all of your heart to see and to know Jesus To see Him honored. To see Him glorified in your life and in lives in which He's not honored yet. Do you desire to see Him at work? And do you delight in that when someone gets saved? When someone turns from sin? When someone sees Him as their hope? When the church is encouraged with His presence? Does this delight you and drive you as a Christian? There are four ways, I think, from this passage in the life of Mary that we see evidence of this in her heart. And these things become evidences for us to both evaluate, to see if it really delights us to see Jesus, and to live out the seeing of Jesus every day in our life. Four witnesses, so to speak. Number one, our salvation should give witness that we have seen Jesus. Our salvation should give witness that we have seen Jesus. So here's Mary at the end of her road, 
with no answers, no way out of whatever it is that she's in. And remember that Mary has somewhat of a stained past. And she comes to the tomb and she is literally on her face on death ground. And she sees Jesus and she doesn't even recognize Him. By the way, that's the story post-resurrection. Jesus continually has to reveal Himself to people. She sees Jesus and there's nothing she can do about where she is. And in that moment, Jesus calls her name. Some of you here this morning you realize that's your story. You were at a place in your life that you had no hope, no answers, nothing about you pleased God. You weren't looking for God. You were looking only for the next mess, the next destructive road, and God interrupted your life. And if it were left up to you to even recognize that He was doing something, you would have failed miserably. Like, you wouldn't have even known Jesus if He stood right in front of you. And He did. But instead of coming almost all the way to you, He came running after you and called you by name and saved your soul. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? And you know what that means? It means your life is the story that Jesus is alive and you've seen Him. You don't come to believe in something that's just a fairy tale or a made-up dream, right? That lasts for a little while, right? We've all got our pipe dreams. That lasts for a little while and eventually fades. When Jesus interrupts someone's life, He changes everything. And your life is the witness that you have seen Him. You actually know Him. That passage in John 10 is true for you. Praise God that it was not just the sheep that were standing before Him. John 10 says, I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. You've you've heard this. We've been in this passage. I lay down my life for the sheep. Praise God for verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. You came to know Jesus because Jesus called your name. He called you out of the darkness into the marvelous light. He called you out of the grave, didn't he, Brother Curtis, into life. He, he called you to himself out of sin into righteousness, out of destruction and judgment into grace and salvation, out of death into eternal life. Jesus called you and you're his. And if that has happened for you, Praise Jesus. That's not happened for you. The Bible teaches very clearly that all who will hear the call of the Lord and call upon His name will be saved. This morning, God may desire to do a great and miraculous work in your life to save your soul. And if you would just simply turn like Mary did and come to the feet of Jesus, Jesus will call you and save you. Secondly, not only should our salvation give witness that we have seen Jesus, it doesn't end there. It's not the landing point of our faith. Our walk should also give witness that we have seen Jesus. Our walk should give witness that we have seen Jesus. 
Mary comes to the feet of Jesus. And we'll look at this more in a moment, what actually transpires this conversation between Mary and Jesus. But I just want you to get the image for the moment. Notice Jesus corrects her. Again, we'll come back to that in a moment. But notice how Mary responds. She doesn't offer up excuses. She doesn't delay. She doesn't go begrudgingly. What happens is Mary believes and obeys joyfully, presumably, and immediately. Because when she goes back, she exclaims, I have seen Jesus. He's alive. Let me tell you everything he said to me. See, Mary's conversion demonstrates that she is a follower of Jesus, that she's seen the risen Christ. But her life, her ongoing walk with Jesus reflects that she's seen Jesus. So let me ask you just on that one note. How's your obedience to Christ? When you consider your own life and how you obey the commands of Christ and know it's not go to your brothers and tell them that Jesus is alive. That's not the command that you received, although we're going to come back to that in a second. There's many commands that we've received, right? Jesus said, go and teach them everything I've commanded you. There's a lot of things that Jesus desires from us. How's your obedience to those things? It means that on kind of a second note, you didn't just have one encounter with Jesus. Don't miss this. But you are having a daily encounter with the living Christ. That you're not just seeing Jesus one time, but that you're seeing Jesus all the time. Wasn't that true for Mary? I mean, think about it. Fast forward past the ascension. They're looking up and seeing Jesus, right? There is this this desire and expectation, even standing there as Jesus ascends to heaven, that they'll see him again. I almost believe that John chapter 14, they're kind of thinking that it's going to happen in the next few days when they're standing there watching Jesus go to heaven. And I'm kind of with them. I want to live like that every day of my life, that maybe today or tomorrow or the next day Jesus will return. There ought to be an expectation. But we don't just live with a future hope and expectation. We live with a present reality that the living Christ is among us and in us. And every day is different. Every day does not look like the old Mary Magdalene. Every day looks like an encounter with the living Christ today. I, I see God at, at work and in my time in God's Word. I see God at work and in my children as as we're following Jesus together. I see God at work in my marriage, like He's doing something. I, I see God at work in my church. I, I see God at work in the world. Like all of these events seems like everything's going crazy, but I know God's in control because He's here. I've seen Him. I've seen Him in the face of Jesus Christ. This is what Paul wrote, Second Corinthians chapter four and verse six. For God who said, let light, let light shine out of the darkness. The same God who spoke light and the world into existence has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When is the last time you saw 
Jesus. It's your walk. Your walk should reflect it. Third, not only our salvation and our walk, but third, our ministry should give witness that we've seen Jesus. If you read verse 17, it can be a little bit confusing, maybe even startling. Like, what? What did you just say, Jesus? Here's Mary. She's just seen you. And now she's falling at your feet in worship, holding on to you for dear life. And isn't that the position that we should be in? Jesus says in verse 17, Don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. He brings them into this relationship, this ownership of a new relationship between their God and them and their Father and them. There is this new relationship with God that is framed by the ascension of Jesus, the reality that Jesus is not going to be among them. He's saying to Mary, don't cling to me as if I'm ascending now. That's coming, right? I'm not going anywhere. You don't have to hold on to me as if this whole salvation thing depends on you. You don't have to hold on to me as if my mission just totally rests on your shoulders. But I am going to go. And when I go, what I need you to do is go and tell your brothers. And then come to me because there is work to be done. It is to embrace the promise of John chapter 1 and verse 14 that when Jesus said He would go to prepare a place for us, that He is going to come again and receive us to Himself. But it is not to miss the, the, the commission of the end of John that essentially says, go and make disciples. Go and tell others. Can I tell you, Christian? You personally need a ministry. Now, you might say, I'm no pastor. That's not who I am. I, I don't go and tell. Can I free you? Neither was Mary. And she received the command. You know what that means for us? That means that every believer has a ministry and you ought to have one. And that ministry ought not just to be among the brothers. Where did Mary go afterwards? She was found with the women praying in the upper room, waiting on the Holy Spirit, and God added to the church that day. There was a ministry for every single believer. It ought to be not only among believers, but among the lost world. You ought to have a ministry personally. And that ministry must be motivated by, here's where it is, you ready? You've seen Jesus, now go and tell others so they see Jesus. It's quite that simple. We take the gospel, we take ministry, and we make it so complicated. And yes, there is a complicated side of ministry, but at the end of the day, God has called you to lead people to see Jesus and to follow Him with their lives. So you need a ministry. The church ought to be a reflection. Our ministry together ought to be a reflection, evidence that Jesus has been seen among us. Can I tell you there are too many Christians. Too many Christians that are still clinging to the feet of Jesus. 
in worship and have failed to follow in the footsteps of Jesus to evangelize and disciple the lost. There's way too many believers who are still caught up in hanging out with Jesus, just them and Jesus clinging to His feet when Jesus is saying, get up and go. Get up and tell. Get up and serve. So you need a mission. Worship is not jettisoned. It's not left behind because of mission. Worship actually fuels the mission. I've seen Christ. I want others to see Christ. So do you have a mission? And fourth, there's one more thing here that should give evidence to the fact that we have seen Jesus. Our attitude should give witness that we have seen Jesus. Our attitude. You don't see it here, but you almost can, can't you? The beginning of the passage, eight verses, you have a weeping and wailing and hopeless Mary Magdalene. The end of the passage, you have a running, probably leaping, certainly rejoicing and definitely exclaiming, I've seen Jesus. Let me tell you about him. There is a complete contrast in Mary's attitude. The action is, of course, built on the ascension of Jesus. There is an anticipation of Jesus coming again. And there should be an anticipation in our own hearts of Jesus coming again. A belief in John 14 that says that He is coming back for us. A belief there at the actual ascension that this is not the last time that we'll see Him face to face. A belief that's similar to what Paul wrote about in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7. Eagerly waiting for the revelation of Jesus. A longing for His appearing as Paul talked about in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and verse 8. As Peter said, though we have not seen Him face to face, though there's not this physical sight of Jesus. We love Him. We don't see Him now, but you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. There's a change in attitude when we come to know Christ. In fact, if you've read your New Testament and gotten to the end to that really scary, weird book called Revelation, you might read a lot of things in there that you don't understand or that have yet to be revealed But the entire book is predicated on this reality. To Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins. This is chapter 1 and verse 5. By His blood. So built on the Gospel. He's made us a kingdom and priests to His God and Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And here's what He wants us to anticipate as that people. Verse 7. Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will, watch this, see Him. Will see Him. You come and rejoice with hope and anticipation as a believer, knowing that what we have now is just dimly lit compared to that which is to come. And every day of your life is an attitude adjustment because 
you have great joy. Can I tell you there are too many grumpy cat Christians who simply walk around with a bad attitude as if they have no hope in the world. As if they have nothing to rejoice over, to be thankful for. It's been prayed multiple times this morning. We above all people this time of year and every day of our lives ought to be the most grateful. We ought to be a people who our attitude has shifted. We no longer look at what's all wrong with the world, but we're looking for what God is doing right in the world. We no longer look at the things we didn't get, but we look at all that God has blessed us with. We no longer look at all of our pain and suffering and and suffer without hope. We suffer with hope. Why? Because we have a different attitude. And the reason why so many Christians walk around all grumpy cat is because, frankly, we are too invested in the here and the now. Things didn't go the way we wanted them to go. We didn't get what we wanted. Somebody hurts our feelings. We don't feel good. We had to make sacrifices. We had to suffer. We had to grieve. We had to have worry and anxiety. It's all about this world. And we invest far too much in the here and the now. You see, the attitude of the Christian is shaped not by the here and the now, but by the certain hope of our future. And we live in the here and now with the reality that we will see Jesus face to face and nothing can change that. And that change changes everything about the way that we live now. It drives us. It drives us to face death. It drives us to face suffering. It drives us to face a bad day and a difficult job and a hard family situation and whatever it is that you face every day, knowing that our hope is not secured in any of those things. Our hope is secured in heaven. And every day of our lives, our attitude is such that we have indestructible joy. And I'm not talking about a plastic, fake, put on smile that you put on and tell everybody, everything's good. I'm talking about an indestructible, indestructible, weathered, tangible, rich Time-tested joy that can never go away. Joy inexpressible and full of glory is the attitude of the Christian. So what about you? Is there evidence in your life that you have met the risen Christ? That you have seen Jesus? With every head bowed and every eye closed, This morning, we want to give you the opportunity to come and meet Him, to know Him. And it won't be by coming to a pastor or church. Today, it is coming on your face before a holy God who is willing and able to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And He did that by sending His only Son to die in your place. Jesus Christ suffered and bled and died in your place, for your sin, that it might be paid for, that the penalty of sin might be forgiven, and that you might know God. And that today you would pass from death to life. And not just life here, but eternal life with God. 
The Bible teaches that today, if you would turn from your sin and believe the Gospel, trust in Jesus, that today He will save you. Others of you in this room, considering your life, as you think about what your life looks like, you're considering how much evidence there is that you've really met Jesus. And I want to just encourage you today, that wherever you are as a believer, whatever you're walking through, whatever disobedience you find yourself in, that He is ready and willing today to call you back to Himself. He's calling right now. If you would just turn and come to Christ, new and fresh. The Bible says that He'll forgive you. That today, your encounter with Him will change your life once again. There will be evidence that you've seen Jesus through mission and through obedience to Him. You've already been saved. You know Him as Lord and Savior, but your hope seems to have been depleted. And today, that can be restored and renewed. You'll come. Fall on your face before Him as He lifts you up and calls you by name. So in just a few moments, here's what we're going to do. This altar is going to be open. And we're going to stand in this place and sing. Asking the Word of God now to speak to your heart. And today, you need to respond in obedience. So if you're here, you've never trusted in Jesus, we want to invite you to come right from the place where you're standing here in a few moments. Step out into that aisle. Walk down this aisle. And today, I'll meet you there. Pastor, today I want to be saved. I want to know Jesus. Receive eternal life. If that's you in a few moments, you come. Others of you, this altar will be open if you need to come and pray or other decisions that need to be made in this room. Now's the time to obey Jesus. Would you stand with me all across the room? Lord Jesus, we pray that you would help us to obey you with our lives today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You come this morning. Still and leads us. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.